Welcome to the Bullish Drive Podcast, where we explore the realms of faith, mental performance, and personal testimonies through conversations with high-level performers. Join us as we extract valuable insights from their experiences to supercharge your pursuit of peak performance. This is the Bullish Drive Podcast. What's up, guys? It's James, your mental performance coach, and I'm incredibly blessed and excited to officially welcome you to the first season of the Bullish Drive Podcast. Out of all the incredible guests we've had on our show, I thought for our first episode, we should talk about the connection of identity and Olympian athletes. And today's guest is doing some incredible work as he helps Olympians prepare for post-Olympic life and spread awareness about mental health in high-performance level athletics. And high-level athletics is a realm that transcends physical abilities. It's a crucible where our very sense of self is forged. And as the legendary Michael Jordan once said, I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. See, these words encapsulate the notion that personal growth and identity formation often arise from the fires of failure and unwavering perseverance. So where does it begin? Identity starts formulating the moment we are born, from our parents, the individuals around us, the environment we are raised in. How we view and interact with the world isn't initially our own. It's been handed down to us before we begin to explore who we are by ourselves. And this concept is known as identity foreclosure. This is a term psychologists use to describe when someone adopts an identity prematurely without exploring other possibilities. It's akin to putting all of your eggs in one basket. And a study in 2002 reinforces the idea that early specialization in sports can be risky. Athletes who embrace a variety of sports during their formative years are more likely to achieve long-term athletic success. And as our guest today discusses, it is a benefit for young athletes to try many sports. Early specialization can be viewed by future scouts and coaches as opportunities missed. One of the best things we as parents and coaches can encourage is keeping an open mind. And Serena Williams encapsulates this notion beautifully when she says, I always believe I can beat the best, achieve the best. I always see myself in the top position. And her words underscore the importance of keeping an open mind and allowing room for exploration in our athletic journeys. So let's shift gears to another pivotal concept, psychosocial stages of development. And Eric Erickson's theory of industry versus inferiority is one of many stages that we go through as we develop our psychosocial understanding of the world around us. And this framework is particularly relevant to young athletes. Like my own experience, many young athletes shift from park and rec community teams to traveling teams around the age of fourth and fifth grade, so nine and 10 years, which happens to fall in Erickson's stage of industry versus inferiority. Without going too deep into psychosocial theory, industry is nurtured through exploration and experimentation, and this enables athletes to cultivate competence and a profound sense of accomplishment. Think of it as honing your craft through dedication and practice. Inferiority, on the other hand, comes from comparative failures, a sense of not adding up to those around you and not accomplishing the goals you set out to achieve. And in other words, kids at this stage just want to find what they like to do and be good at it. Olympic gold medalist Simone Biles embodies this idea when she states, I just go out there and do what I love to do, and that's gymnastics. See, her unwavering dedication to her craft exemplifies that industry springs from a genuine passion for the sport. And what's interesting about the stage is that young athletes can begin to develop a theory known as growth mindset. Industry can be seen as a time to develop internal locus of control and inferiority as external locus of control. 
But what about control has to do with identity? Well, it's vital in an athlete's journey, impacting their resilience and adaptability in times of hardship. According to Carol Dweck, who's a renowned psychologist in her groundbreaking work, Mindset, the New Psychology of Success, individuals with a growth mindset characterized by an internal locus of control are more likely to embrace challenges and perceive setbacks as opportunities for growth. While those with external locus of control can be trapped, relying too much on factors that are out of their control. Now consider the delicate balance between athletic identity and personal identity. Retired soccer star Abby Wambach wisely notes, we forget that we are more than just our sport. Her journey emphasizes the importance of athletes exploring their interests and passions beyond sports to avoid the perils of identity confusion. And this cannot be more noted than during the teenage and college years of Erickson stages, known as identity versus identity confusion. During these years, individuals will dive into who they are and how do they fit into the world around them as an individual. A number of other brain occurrences happen as well, such as puberty and a process called pruning. Pruning is as it sounds. The brain begins the process of getting rid of unused neural pathways to make room for ones that are used more often. So for instance, if one has never touched a paintbrush up to this point, the brain will begin to get rid of the connections for painting because it's never been used. Does this mean that the individual can never learn to paint? No, but it will be harder. This process creates opportunities to experiment with identity and is also the reason why teens will try new styles, listen to new music, and explore both positive and negative new situations. It's why athletes will strive to be a varsity player or gain the coveted letterman's jacket or MVP, why the Sweet 16 parties need to be big and the winter king and queen need to be won or the valedictorian is fought over. Can I get into the college I want? get the scholarship, or even get drafted. So finally, for those who ascend to the professional level, the stakes are raised even higher. Basketball legend Kobe Bryant once said, I can't relate to lazy people. We just don't speak the same language. I don't understand you. I don't want to understand you. And these words reflect the unwavering dedication demanded at the professional level. Yet, they also illuminate the challenge of transitioning to a life beyond sports when one's identity is so profoundly intertwined with the game. Many athletes at these levels begin to focus on external or extrinsic forms of identity. And as we say at Bullish Drive, outcome focused. Stats, wins, and losses. Will I get a ring this year or will I become a bust? Will I prove the media and critics right or wrong? Will I be on the right side of politics to get to where I wanna go or not? The danger of outcome focused identity is that we do not have full control of outcome. Too many factors outside of our control can occur, and when professional athletes struggle to realize this, they experience burnout, anxiety, or even depression. High-level athletics offers a distinctive platform for identity formation filled with both opportunities and challenges. Navigating this journey necessitates a balance between dedication to the sport and the cultivation of a multifaceted identity that serves athletes well throughout their entire lives. Muhammad Ali, who famously proclaimed, the man who has no imagination has no wings. Imagination, exploration, and personal growth are the keys to a triumphant athletic journey and a gratifying life beyond the field or the court. With that, I am honored and blessed to have my friend, Garrett Bender, former Olympian, playing for the U.S. Eagles 7s rugby team with us on the show today. What's up, man? I, I appreciate you sticking <laughs> with me, man, making this happen. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, thank yeah. you for being on. Yeah, it's... Uh... Big soft spot in my heart uh, is the mental side of sports aspect. You know, it's honestly mostly because it's something I struggle with a lot during my playing days. So I, 
I started on the U.S. team in 2011. Uh, worked my way to the first contracts 2012. Was there for six months. Took a year, year and a half off, and then worked my way back on. So from 2013 to the end of 2016, I was there consistently, and I had four different coaches over that that four different head coaches over that span. So I had a lot of, a lot of, uh, good coaches and, and a lot of bad ones, you know, and I feel <laughs> like I learned, learned and took, took the bits and pieces from, from all of them. And then I decided to leave the team, uh, in the, after the 2016 Olympics, because I was in a terrible mental health space. I'd say mm -hmm. I was, I was suicidal mostly when I was going through that process. Um, and we can, we can dive into that little bit more but it's it's kind of since then I've been uh bouncing around all over kind of uh first few years didn't want to be a part of the game at all you know it was mm. really abrasive to it um but then I you know kind of just started coaching a little bit and then that's that's kind of when we met as was one of my first first little coaching sessions yeah uh back into it and then you know just there was always this pull to kind of go back to the sport whatever that looked like and and I, you know, I still kind of kept it at arm's length, um, became a massage therapist, you know, helped run a couple of massage businesses and and just through that, kept having this consistent feeling of rugby, you know, like always being at the back, you know, like, cause I left, I didn't know why I was leaving. I just knew mm. the way I felt it wasn't necessarily a sport, but I knew I needed to change something and I, mm. I didn't know what that was. And so the last seven years, I'd say, has been a lot of unboxing, what that right. has been. And it took a few years to kind of get there to the real work and, you know, understanding, you know, our childhood traumas and how that impacts, you know, us as adults and the habits that we hold on that aren't serving us as adults. You know, they're usually satisfying, you know, something we got, we either got too much of or we didn't get enough of as kids, right? right? And so I going through that process, it's helped me to start to unbox a lot of like what I was struggling with. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now is I've kind of dedicated my life to to help, you know, others not have to suffer through the same things I had to suffer through and mm. and uh and just yeah, help give back in any way I can and and connect people with you know the most important parts of sports, you know, which yeah. is the the brotherhood, the family that you're around, the support system that you're around, the the skills that you're developing, you know, through these sports, you know, not just right. you know chasing the performance, chasing the wins and losses. Like you're, you're actually developing into a better person all around, mm. but in a nutshell, I'm yeah, just yeah. kind of in a space of doing a lot of self work and mm. also helping others kind of process through the transition out of sport, I think is, is the main thing I've been working on lately. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. I love that. I love, I love just your approach to it and just the self-awareness, right? Just, just recognizing well, where, where to go with your mental space and what to do with that. Now, now you actually didn't come from a rugby background. You were a football player, weren't you? Yep. hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. I played football since I was eight years old, uh, eight to about 19. I went to, got recruited to go to D division two college, uh, St. Cloud state. Um, mm -hmm. I had basically a full ride to go there. Uh, had a great senior season. Um, and I, I, account or you know i give a lot of gratitude to rugby because of the success i had in football you know i wouldn't have been as successful of a rugby or a football player if i hadn't found rugby i found rugby freshman year of high school played baseball since i was you know five years old up and because it's a spring sport in minnesota mm -hmm. i had to make the decision that my dad wasn't super happy about because <laughs> baseball is a lot safer there's a lot more money in baseball yeah. but 
he came around eventually. <laughs> you know, so so yeah, I'm a big advocate of if if you're playing football, you know, like to have an off season where you're you know, you're training, you're tackling, and not just tackling, like tackling the safest, most efficient way. You know, right. that's what rugby teaches. And and then if you're a ball carrier, you know, you get a whole nother season of running against guys, you know, using right. your stiff arm, using your footwork, using those things. And it's amazing how many football coaches are super abrasive to rugby. Yeah. You know, like and they're you know, it's it's the fear of getting injured and all that. But if I was to say anything that took my game to the next level, it was it was certainly fine in rugby because it's it just it develops all the skills that you want to use in football. You're just more well-rounded and you're yeah. fitter, right? Because you're yep. we're moving constantly. So, right, because yep. it's nonstop. You know, there's no breaks or anything like that. You mentioned like you you were playing baseball and then you kind of shifted, and your dad was a little. Uh, what did you say? You, you said something about your dad's approach to it or something. Yeah, he was abrasive. He was very abrasive <laughs> at first because yeah. I was a good baseball player too. That was probably my first true love like my brother was a good baseball player and we grew up he's he's five years older than me so we grew up playing you know throwing the ball against the the steps like our whole childhood you know but mm. you know working on our grounders working on our our fielding and you know some of the best memories are going to the field with my dad and brother and just like my dad would hit us balls and one of us play first base and you know so yeah it was a very it was a it was an easy decision for me at the time because I found the sport that just clicked, you know, mm -hmm. like first game I played, I was like, yeah, like this game's for me, you know, but right. in hindsight, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, I wonder what <laughs> would have happened if I had pursued because I love the, I love the skill that it takes to play baseball, but I love like the chillness, you know, of baseball mm -hmm. where, mm -hmm. you know, you're, it's not like, staying in a tunnel next to a bunch of dudes that are trying to take your head off you know it's, it's more just coming up and warming up with your buddies you know you're eating seeds you're, you know you got the camaraderie on the bench and like all that so it's, it's very different like environments like intensity wise but yeah but i always got mad respect for baseball i know a lot of um young athletes around the age of 13 they kind of want to find their thing you know mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not always what their parents want so was there anything your dad did that helped you latch on to rugby and football, even though he was more of a baseball guy? Like, how did your dad support you through that? Yeah, well, like my dad's always been my biggest fan, you know, mm -hmm. so it took him a little bit to come around. But once he saw that I was really passionate about it and then, you know, I was I was having success with it pretty early, too. Like I, I stood out, you know, on my team and and. So that helped a lot. So he saw that I had potential in the sport, you know, and then hearing that it was an Olympic sport definitely helped too. It's honestly, it's trusting your gut, mm. you know, like everyone's going to have an idea and an opinion about you. I wish in hindsight, I would have like played summer ball or something with baseball mm. just to like keep, keep it going a little bit. Cause there's a lot of love for that sport, yeah. you know, and like, if you can find a way to balance it, especially at a younger age, you know, that's, something I, I don't know if it was a study or there's been more coaches coming out like college coaches especially division one coaches talking mm -hmm. about like they'd rather see you playing a multitude of sports you know we have this like mm -hmm. this body that's just like super resilient so it's like <laughs> you might as well try everything just trying it man like just because it's it's another season you get to be around a whole nother group of people. So you got friends that you're making, you got coaches that you're learning from that are different, you know, like, and, 
And yeah, I think so. If I was to give any advice, I would say, I would say try everything because you never know what's going to resonate, you know, and you also don't know where your opportunities are going to come from. You know, yeah. I played one tournament and I got scouted to go to U16 USA camp, you know, so I went play two games of rugby and then I was at this camp with all these kids that like I was in over my head, but it was a great experience, (laughs) you know, like, and that would have never happened if I wouldn't have tried rugby. You have a supportive parent parental figure in your life that, that will, you know, they'll see your passion and then they'll become passionate. And that's exactly what happened to my dad. My bedroom was upstairs. So he would leave like anytime, like, you know, Alex Rodriguez signed for $180 million over by, he would cut that out and he would put it on my steps. Oh, man. So I would like, yeah, so I'd walk up and I'd see these articles of baseball players, like, because he was just trying to like give me that healthy nudge of like, this yeah. is where it's safer. You're really good at it. Like, <laughs> it all worked out the way it should have. I was so small in high school. My parents wouldn't let me play football or hockey or anything. And so when I told them I joined the college rugby team, they thought it was something soft. In their first game, my mom almost had a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) So let's let's fast forward a little bit, you know, moving into the Olympics. um, What was that transition like? Because I think a lot of athletes are like, oh, the Olympics, that's that's the gold standard. You want to end up in the Olympics. But not not a lot of people quite understand um, the mental um, strength and resilience that's required to be truly become an Olympian because everyone's trying to become an Olympian. So the best word to describe it was, it was a grind, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of what you'll hear consistently. Like I've worked with, I've been fortunate enough to work with, you know, a solid group of Olympians transitioning out of sport, all different mm-hmm. sports, you know, gold medalists to bronze, you know, like all Paralympians and Olympians, you know, it's pretty consistent. Like, the grind of it is definitely a big challenge. So it takes something that you love, which is the sport, right? So we we fall in love with this sport, and that's why we want to pursue it at the highest level. Mm-hmm. But then when you get to that highest level, that national team or that professional environment, it takes this thing that you love and it turns it into a job, mm-hmm. right? And then yeah. with that, it becomes work, right? And with work, there's, you know, there's frustration, there's monotony, there's you got to do the same drills over and over and over and over again. And Mm. you wouldn't think that like at the national team, we're working on basics, but it's like, that's pretty much the majority, like 80% of what we do in training is pass catch stuff, you know, like for rugby, like pass catch stuff and just like tackle technique, breakdown technique. Like it's real basic stuff. Yeah. You're just drilling it at the highest level. So the, the figuring out your why is very important. You know, why do you want to be an Olympian? Because there's going to be, you know, it's the difference between being motivated and being driven, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so like motivation is, is never there when you need it, right? Like you, Mm -hmm. you, you listen to the video, you have a speech from the coach, whatever it was. So there's a peak of like, yeah, let's go. But then as soon as that speech or that thing's done, like you're already on the decline. So a lot of like, these motivational speakers and people talk about you got to be driven, right? Mm. Which is like, you have to have the discipline and a strong enough why to be able to push through the tough days and the monotony Mm. that comes with being great. You know, like it's like you could equate it to any sport or any individual, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant's like, like they weren't great because they just had, they had natural talent, obviously, Mm. but they had their reputation of like, pushing hard in in practice over and over and over and over and over again, you know, and that's what I feel like separates the the good from great. And I think I wasn't prepared for the mental grind as Mm. much as 
I wish I was, you know, and understanding what you mentioned at the beginning of the importance of taking care of ourselves off the pitch. You know, I think that is a big thing that separates the people that play a few years from the people that play 15. You know, it's, are you doing not just your recovery, right? Like, so your, your stretches, your, your ice baths, your, you know, whatever your prehab, your rehab, like being disciplined with that, but also like, are you utilizing the support around you? So your nutritionist, your psychologist, you know, your mental skills coaches, like, like all of those things add up to this one result. Right. And if you're missing some of those things, like you might still accomplish the goal, like myself, like I was still able to make the Olympic team, but that experience is shrouded in darkness because of the lack of work on the mental side of things, you know, and that, yeah, that's, that's kind of like the biggest part I think I missed, but also like the most important part that I emphasize to players now and anyone that I'm working with, you know, that, that is pursuing high level sport. It's like knowing that it's going to be a grind, right? Like it's Mm going to be tough. Like it's, there's not one Olympic athlete that'll talk to you about, you know, like, like the, the competition is great. Like, and that's what everyone sees. Right. So you see the Instagram, you see the Facebook posts, you see the, (laughs) you know, the traveling around the world. Right. But you don't see the, the three a days, you know, four or five days a week that it it takes to that your body is just completely destroyed and you're going to go out and run another 5k in that session, you know, and like still keep, you know, a high, high level performance day in and day out. And, and yeah. And like, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're waiting, you know, you're, you're not getting the rewards that you need. You'll grind, grind, grind. Hopefully you'll get to that tournament or that yeah. game and you'll have success in that game. And that gives you that reward. Mm-hmm. But if you get to that tournament in that game, after you've just been grinding and not taking care of yourself in other ways, if you don't get that reward, then it's like grind, 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 add more grind. Like you're just grinding on top of grinding. You right. Know? And, right. And it's only going to leave one place, you know, it's, it's going to be, you're going to lead to burnout. That's what separates, separates people is they utilize their support systems to the fullest, you know, Mm. and not see themselves as just an athlete. Like you're an athlete and a person, you need to take care of yourself off the field just as much as on it. Tell me this when I'm 22, like, I'm just going to tell you, get out, get out of my way. And I'm just going to go to work and like get through it, you know, but Mm. At the end of it, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I made it to the Olympics, but I was suicidal. So I didn't enjoy that experience. It's going to take that sport that you love. It's going to become a job. And then that job is going to breed. It's going to turn into work. And then mm. that work is going to breed resentment. It's going to breed challenges. It's going to breed, you know, all of these thoughts that you never thought would be associated with this thing that you love. Mm. So you got to have a strong enough why to push through those questions and those moments it allows me to see that in younger players you know and and that's a lot where a coach from and teach from do you think a lot of people going into the olympics or into these higher levels actually have a strong grasp of their why or do you think their why is just like oh now i'm olympian or i'm a football player versus like the actual why i think a lot of athletes why is becoming an olympian it's getting Mm -hmm. a gold medal you know and there's there's some crazy stat that like 80% of Olympians go through post-Olympic depression, whether you're a gold medalist to all bronze to just competing. Like yeah. there's a natural dip that happens after that because it's this huge show. It's this huge like event, 
you know, the, the most challenging part of the Olympics isn't the competition. It's dealing with everything else. Like there's, yeah. you know, like you're, you're playing, you're competing against the same people you competed against all year, <laughs> yeah. same teams, same yeah. size field, same ball, same everything. Mm. It's just now every day you're asking your whole team everyone's getting interviewed. Everyone's getting pulled. Your mm. coaches are getting interviewed. Everyone is messaging you from everywhere, you know, like, and telling you what to think and you know they're proud of you and all these things and so it's like dealing with those distractions can be yeah. the most challenging part of that whole experience but I think that that stat of post-olympic depression is that sign that like I don't think a lot of athletes understand truly like their why outside of sport you know for me a big why now is like I want to be a father you know so yeah a lot of what i think about now which is crazy like it's happened in the last few years like this shift <laughs> happened when you turn 30 and it's just like <laughs> your brain starts shifting <laughs> but uh a lot of my why now is revolved around like i want to be the best father i can be mm. so when challenging things do come up you know i'm asking myself well what if my kid was there what if my kid saw me mm. interact that way or blow up at that person when i shouldn't have or react that way in traffic or i want to show my kids like that all of this is possible you know and mm -hmm. i want to show them what a healthy man looks like you know yeah. and, and i that's something i never had my why was this is the only thing i had when, when i was competing my why was this the only thing i had yeah. i mean i was like if i go home i'll probably end up killing myself you know like i was yeah. in that type of headspace mm -hmm. so i was like very fortunate to have rugby and it definitely saved my life in more ways than, than one but you know looking back at that it's like yeah dude that's not strong enough you know yeah. like because you're putting your why all in like this this very uh malleable like thing so it's like if you perform well you have a good training well that's a good day yeah you got a bad training that's a bad day <laughs> you know <laughs> right. and this is like my coach just tried to like get this through to me you know yeah. it's like that's the importance of like having hobbies, having your family mm. on the outside, you know, like having that separation from sport while you're in it is just as important, you know, as being like solely focused, you know, yeah. like there has to be a balance. That last five minutes was so gold. Like just, just recognizing your hobbies and balancing your life. Like, you know, you, you identify yourself with your sport. What happens when your sport goes away? Right. Yep. What happens when you fail at your sport? Because you will fail. That's what sports is. 80% of sports isn't going to be fun. <laughs> you know, uh, you'll enjoy about 20% of it, but the rest is grinding, losing games. I do want to touch a little bit on life after elite sports, you know. Um, so and you've mentioned it a couple of times, the transition. Now, now it sounds like you made a choice to to transition out. Um, not all athletes do, right? Um, so can you can you touch on a little bit about that transition what that was like and and how you kind of manage that yeah yeah uh well it was challenging uh at first <laughs> for sure i think i i transitioned before i wanted to um because mm. you know i was 24 when i left the team so in my head i'm like well i got two more olympics ahead of me you know mm. like i gotta figure that whatever this is out and come back to the team but what happened is I would, I would, I left the team, went back to my home, surrounded myself with a bunch of people that didn't understand what I was going through and then got uncomfortable there. So I went back to my comfort zone. I went back to the team three separate times mm. and every time I was there for a week, two weeks and just 
it's like going back into the same environment, you know, you're opening the same door, expecting someone else to be on the other side, having not done any of the work on myself that I needed to. You touched on it where, you know, who are you without your sport? Injuries as an athlete, it, it forces us to be with ourselves without that sport. And that's that version of yourself that you're going to inevitably meet when you transition out of sport, you know, especially a sport like rugby, it's inevitable. Our bodies just can't keep up with us. So there's this transition that's going to happen. Mm. And now uh, I'll give a shout out to a program that I went through called the pivot program. So they Mm. work with Olympic athletes in this transition. So they fly out to Colorado. It's four days of intensive group therapy with the sports psychologist, other uh, psychologists there as well, helping that was like life changing for me. And I did that about a year ago. Um, I, I was, I went through the program a year ago and then uh, about a month ago, a month ago I was there and I actually got to coach at that program. The number one thing that all of us said, you know, we all feel less alone. Oftentimes the people who you're going to go back to or that you're around when you do transition into that next career, that next job, they're not going to understand what you went through. You know, and that I think is one of the most important parts when you do decide to transition out of sport is creating that network of people. So your teammates, you know, the people who are going through it with you Mm. are the best resources to talk to when you are getting out of that space. If you have teammates that have transition, talking, talking to them, you Mm. know, like like before you decide those things, because they're going to, you know, tell you what you need to hear, you know, not necessarily what you want to hear. It's like, who are those people that you can call up and you know, they'll tell you the truth, even when it's not what you want to hear. Transitioning out of sport is hard, man, because it's, you're, you aren't just changing your job, you know, like you're, you have to fundamentally shift your identity, right? Mm. When we're elite athletes, I was a rugby player. That's all I saw myself as. When I left the team, that's all I saw myself as. Yeah. So I had no confidence going into any other career Mm. because I didn't see all of like the 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 skills that were applicable that I was learning and that I gained from being on that team. I wasn't able to see that, you know. Part of that is having coaches that emphasize those things to their kids and you know, like making sure you're pulling it back and doing the work on your own too. Yeah. So like have, have that psychologist or have that therapy or just even talking to your, your friend, you know, mm. or your teammate and just making sure you're good outside of the sport. This quote that I come back to, it's don't deny someone the gift of helping you. So when mm. you're in that headspace where we don't want to reach out to people, we don't, you know, often in that negative, when we're conscious, you know, and we're feeling good, like, it's like, yeah, I know. When I'm feeling low, I need to call this person, right? But when you mm. get into that low headspace, everything in you is like fighting you to like make that call. Right. So a way that I've learned to combat that those that negative loop is to ask yourself, well, what if that person came to me with the mm. same problem? Yeah. You know, and how good it would feel for me to be able to help. Is there a way that someone can get connected to what you're doing? Hit me up on Instagram. That's always a good one to find me at Rugby Bender. That's the easiest one. You can, uh, my email is bender.garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, at Gmail. Explaining who you are and like what the conversation and then Mm. we'll schedule a chat. And well. There you go, man. Garrett Bender, appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on here. Bro, thank you very much for having me on here. And and I appreciate what you're doing. You know, this stuff is 
it's not the easiest to talk about, but it's the more we have these conversations, the more we normalize this type of communication. And this is the stuff that, you know, it holds so many people back, but we're all struggling through something, you know, we got to be able to talk about it and, and support each other through it. Yeah, man, I totally agree. And thank you for being on our show today. You know, if you want to learn more, check us out at www.bullishdrive.com. And if you want to reach out to Garrett, you can email him at bender.garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T at gmail.com or look him up on Instagram at rugbybender. All right, guys, and I appreciate you. If you want a free way of supporting just what we're doing here and spreading mental performance skills uh, through our podcast, please subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or YouTube. All the platforms will be streaming this podcast, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, guys, and always remember it starts with you, and your destiny is waiting. Peace.